Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Okay, great stuff, thanks. Um, okay, we're going to uh, carry on journeying through Galatians chapter 2 in a moment. So if you've got a Bible or your phone there, maybe you might want to look at that. Be wrong though at this stage not to acknowledge that love is in the air. And uh, Becky and Dave got engaged over the weekend. It's a beautiful thing. Just find a couple more couples. Maybe we could do a group discount on the MEC wedding. Sam, is that all right? Okay. Okay, good one. And uh, yeah. So I'm all over this, by the way, you know. I remember what I did a talk uh, about a couple of years ago to the message. And uh, it was about go and breed. Get married, have kids, move into these tough communities. And uh, the next day, um, uh, Rachel, who you, another Rachel, who used to be on uh, reception, said to me, good news is Andy, I'm having twins. <laughs> so, so there you go. So, um, yeah. So, you know, just wait, wait after your marriage, but get on with it, okay. Uh, right, you can shut it in all, Daniel Eduardo. Yeah. Right, okay, Galatians chapter 2. In fact, before we do Galatians chapter 2, let's talk about Man United for once. Yay! Suddenly, we played like Man United this week, and then I was there thanks to Sam Ward, and so was Sam. And then what the heck happened to United on, on uh, this weekend? I mean, how can we play like that? How can we play so badly? And then suddenly it all comes together and we look like absolute world beaters. And some of it was, just for those who don't understand these things, we had two young local lads up front. And I had a little feeling, actually, weren't playing for the money. Weren't playing for the multi-million pound paycheck. They were playing just because they love this game of football. And there was a passion and a drive and a fire and a unity. Isn't it amazing the difference, the same group of people, when they come together in unity of purpose? I mean, what is going on with Leicester City? And I'm thinking Leicester might even win the Champions League. I'm believing for it. Wouldn't that be great? But how can I mean, a bunch of journeymen, you know, worth a tiny fraction of the teams they were just blasting out of sight. And then suddenly they become disunited, they can't pay, they get, all get big pay rises and they all become a bit full of themselves and then they can't play and they're losing every game. And then, almost overnight, they realise, what are we doing, guys? We've lost a manager, it's become a bit of a shambles, they give themselves a pep talk and absolutely transformed in the last few weeks. It's like they can't lose now, isn't it? I'm just saying, if we can see that in the natural, you know, see that in teamwork, in sports teams, how much more the body of Christ, if we can come together as a team with the power of the Spirit, how much more can we achieve? And um, I love the fact that some of you will know Stuart Crawford, a guy who's donated his time uh, uh, to do some um, consultancy for us, to help us. You know, we're planning on doubling in size in the next five years, planning on truly going global. We've got all these bold plans, but we need the right structure to facilitate that. So here's this guy who's consulted all these big companies and charities and organisations and he's offered his time for free and do this piece of research. So, and uh, you know what he said to me? He said, you know, and I, so he's done his first little debrief with me about 
talking to all the managers and various people, and lots of you will have in been interviewed by Stuart. He said, in all the time I've been doing this work, I've never seen a more united team. I've never seen a team who will more get the goals, get the vision, and let's rejoice in that. Imagine what music to my ears that was. You know, so there is a big fat well done, guys. Whoever was interviewed by Stuart, confidentially, the guy said, and with there's things to learn and things to will change and reorganize and it's going to be all good so we can build for growth. But praise God. But we can't take that for granted. The fact is, as, as, as church, the Bible never tells us to be united, uh, to become united, because we're already united. There's only one Lord, one faith, one church, one baptism, one heaven we're all going to. The Bible tells us to to put into practice what we already have, to work out our unity. And, um, and that's why Galatians is such an important book for us because we unite not around a ministry or a charity. We, we unite around a message, not the message, his message, don't we? And once that message starts getting watered down and goes a bit weird, Christians become divided and uh, Satan starts laughing. And the Great Commission doesn't go forward in the way it should. This is big stuff that Carl's, that Carl, not Carl, Paul. <laughs> Don't tell Carl Beach I said that. I compared him to the Great Apostle. Not yet. This is big stuff. I don't know why I said Carl then. Uh, Paul knew that what he's looking at here as he, as he provokes and challenges the, the Galatians and goes up to to Jerusalem for this critical meeting. He knows it has the potential to split the church and massively reduce its effectiveness, and he's not having it. You know, Paul had a life message that he was literally going to hold on to for life or death, whatever it cost, he was gonna hold on to that. And uh, we do have two, and it's basically, we have the same message as Paul's message. And Paul's message was grace alone. It's all about grace. It's it's God's work. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. No amount of rapping for Jesus or preaching the gospel or building big mission is going to earn our salvation. It's all about what he did, all about what we've been celebrating this weekend. Can you imagine what a revelation that was? Those three years in the desert he speaks about in Galatians chapter 1. Just what it was like for this man to think, I've been doing it all by my own effort, my own strength. I become this angry, chipped-up religious man, which is what always happens by works-based religion. If we try and do it ourselves, it all falls apart. It's never the way it's meant to be. And then this revelation of grace. And as he gets into the Old Testament and he realizes it's all predicted, it's all there. These days we're living in, it's all about grace. It's all about peace, peace with God, peace that results in peace with your fellow man and peace in your heart. The greatest prize, the greatest thing we could ever receive in life is just peace. And it's all about rescue. So there's three words that sum up Paul's gospel. Grace, peace, rescue. We're on a rescue mission. Because we've received God's extravagant grace into our lives, because we know his peace and we're walking in his peace, we've got to carry out that out to an, a world in need. Anything else is just counterfeit. When I was in South Africa a couple of weeks ago, one of these lucky, lucky men came up to me on the beach with a pair of absolutely brilliant looking Adidas glasses. And he only wanted something like, you know, $45 to him. 
Half an hour later, I've got him down to $5. I'm thinking, fantastic. And I give him the money. And uh, I'm like, look at them, Michelle. They are pretty authentic. 30 seconds later, they snapped. <laughs> and and he, this man has gone like dust. Where are you? I'll kill you. <laughs> but uh, I remember going on holiday with uh, my friend Ian. And uh, he bought these glasses, blue, Okies. He said Okie on the front. <laughs> So we were taking the mickey out of him about his Okies, these blue Okies. And he's like, no, they're fantastic. The lenses are brilliant. And they didn't snap. And, uh, but he went out in the sun and he, and he was sweating. You know, it was so hot. And he was, we were all laughing at his Okies because it said Okie on the front, not Oakley. And he took the Okies off. And I'm not kidding you. There was a perfect pattern of blue Okies left in ink and dye from these counterfeit glasses that looked okay on the surface. But pretty soon fell apart, or pretty soon made you look foolish. There's an authentic gospel that works. Anything else is counterfeit. And for Paul to protect that message from being tinkered with or watered down, it was willing to go, he was willing to go to any lengths. Let me read Galatians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. 14 years later, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along with me. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach amongst the Gentiles. But I did this privately for those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had to the Jews. For God, who was at work in my ministry... In the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry to be an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So for Paul, it was worth going to any length, certainly going all the way up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, but also with Titus. Why Titus? Because Titus was an on-fire, born-again, spirit-filled, uncircumcised Greek Christian. He hadn't been circumcised, but he received all the benefits, all the blessings of being a child of God. And... Um, Paul knew he had to go because, as he says in verse chapter 1, he had a divine revelation. Paul operated as this capital A apostle, a guy with a hotline to God. And there in the desert and over the preceding 14 years, God had just downloaded to him the gospel of free grace that he, he'd written down better than any man's ever written it and shared it with the church. And we come under the authority and live in the light of it. And um, he learned that grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, that's it. That's it. That's the gospel. Grace plus Old Testament rule, rules to the Jewish posse sounded so much fuller 
they thought Paul was into easy believism. And it was massive for Paul. So he describes it in verse 2 as, if this is the gospel, the gospel is plus rules, then I've been running my race in vain. Because I've been preaching this gospel of free grace that God's given me. And these guys are trying to preach a different gospel that ju just puts heavy burdens on people and doesn't lead them into the true freedom that I'm in and Titus in and so many others are in. And uh, this is big, big stuff for Paul. Paul's message is the gospel is for all people of all nations in every culture. And his opponents were like, yes, but Christians must become Jewish. Here's what John Stott said about this. It was one thing for the Jerusalem leaders to give their approval to the conversion of the Gentiles, but could they approve of commitment to the Messiah without inclusion in Judaism? Was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world and the church of Christ as the international family of God? It's actually about freedom. We're the freest people on earth. Freedom is our hallmark. Free from sin, free to really live. Rules just end up binding people up. Rules just tend to end up rubbing up the old nature. What we are, we're free to serve, free to live, free to fly. We need to enjoy our freedom in Christ. Free to go to heaven, free to live like it. Free to bless the world in Jesus' name. Paul realized that undermining that was actually undermining what he called the truth of the gospel. So, I'm so glad that Paul was willing to contend for this. Not just for those people in that day, but for all history, for all the Christian history from here on. But Titus was glad too, wasn't he? No little flint knives for you now, boy. You know, I'm free. I don't need to add anything to this gospel of free grace. Here's Tim Keller. Listen to what he says about this. The implications of this are fundamental to our understanding of what the Christian faith is. The countless regulations for cleanliness in the law of Moses were designed, among other things, to show us how impossible it was to make ourselves perfectly acceptable before a holy God. But these false brothers had used the regulations in order to teach the exact opposite, that we could make ourselves pure and more acceptable to God through strict compliance with them. See, do you get how important it is? Thank God the Jerusalem brothers got it. They listened to Paul and his argument, and they looked at what God was doing on the, on the earth, the way he was pouring out his spirit, not just on Titus, but on unprecedented numbers of the Gentiles through Paul's message and they allowed him to leave with joy with a message of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and not by any meaningless deeds and rituals as if our works could earn our way back to God. They made the massive decision that drove the gospel forward for the next hundreds of years and I love this cheeky little verse 10 at the end of it that, you know, this big debate about doctrine, what are the fundamental foundational things that we preach, what are we going to take out on this missionary adventure to the ends of the earth. But then there's this cheeky little verse 10, and it's a good reminder. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing we were keen to do, we were eager to do. 
And as we, you know, we think, right, we're preachers, we're evangelists, we're raising up evan evangelists through the advance, we're going out preaching the gospel across the nation through the higher tour and the nations, you know, gospel front and center. The Lord would say, and all I ask is that you remember the poor. You know, don't forget the poor. Yes, preach the gospel, but never forget the poor. Don't you like that? It's just a nice little reminder that we don't get too foaming at the mouth about our doctrine. We have soft hearts towards the vulnerable and the marginalized, and we have adventures on behalf of the poor as we preach the gospel boldly. And uh, so they went off with this message, and they left Jerusalem preaching this message of free grace across the world, and it was like fling wide the doors everyone's welcome, era of free grace, let's just go with it. He started there with Paul, and for the next few hundred years, the gospel exploded across the known world. Just an amazing thing. I mean, who would have thought when Jesus was hanging on the cross that that could happen, that millions would be swept into the kingdom? And uh, for 350 years or something like that, the church experienced this massive exponential growth, then the rules boys came in, the slavery boys. You've got to add this to the gospel. You've got to add that to the gospel. And we started to argue about it and split. And we, we thought we were so clever. We'd have denominations and, and we split off into denominations. And suddenly the, the, the church continued to grow through the centuries. But there wasn't the same momentum. And then brave men and women fought for the gospel of free grace. And often sacrifice their lives. You can just see it throughout church history. Great seasons of advance. Then rules. And we think we're so clever. And we'll split up into all these denominations and streams. And we become disunited and, and divided. And then again we make the main thing the main thing. We become all about weird languages and Latin and, and religion. And then we bring it back into the street language. And suddenly it accelerates. And then God breaks a whole bunch of people's hearts for the, the lost people through the modern missionary movement, you know, that's like 250 years ago. And then suddenly, in the 19th century, hundreds of millions are saved. And what an adventure. And then in the, in the 20th century, God pours out his spirit and the whole thing starts to accelerate as the gospel of free grace comes front and center and good people fight for it. Weirdos try and split it up. There are always people that are always out there trying to add rules and religion, but God has his way. And then we come to where we are now. Basically, the greatest harvest in world history. The greatest outpouring of the spirit in world history. You know, that's happening now as we sit in this place. And sometimes when you live where we do and you work in Sharston, maybe you think that's not happening. I'm telling you it's happening. Spring Harvest, I, um, I was asked to speak on Isaiah 56, and the whole Spring Harvest theme has been about unity, which is great. But you don't, you don't discover unity by going to a Christian conference and going to seminars and talks about unity. You discover unity on the front foot of mission. That's how we come together, united. We look at the lost and look at the least and look at the last, look at the poor, and we're united. We all agree. We're, we're, we're brothers and sisters, we've got the same spirit. Surely we want more people in heaven. We want more glory to Jesus. We come together as we go in mission. And it's good to come together and say, let's be united. We truly come together as we go out on that mission. But anyway, so I was to talk on Isaiah 56, which is basically Isaiah's big revelation that this is all going to happen. That it's for everybody. 
Isaiah 56, he's like, come in, all nations, come in. I'm going to have a house of prayer in every nation. And I, we live in the generation where that's happened. You know that, don't you? We live in the generation where all nations on the earth now have a house of prayer. We, in my lifetime, you wouldn't believe what's happening. Well, you would, you better believe it, it's happening. And I, I, so I was asked to talk about, yes, about the gospel being for all nations and for all people and God's focus being others, it's salvation for others, but also what God's doing on the earth. So I went back to this book. You remember a couple of years ago when we were talking about this book that George Verver gave me? Oh, so encouraging, so exciting, so amazing what God's doing on the earth. Patrick Johnson is this like data geek fella. He's, a, he's a, a scientist who loves to research and he's written Operation World. Anybody seen Operation World? Fantastic, you need to get one. It basically goes through every country on the earth, what the Spirit's doing and where the church is at and where there's growth and all that and where there's decline indeed, which is very few countries. But uh, he talks about, and I, you know, I, I remember being completely addicted to Operation World when I was a teenager. And, uh, and, then, and then about 10 years ago, the new Operation World came out. And I'm reading about the UK. And Patrick Johnson's writing about the message. Honestly, and he's writing about Eden. And I was so moved. I remember just sat in my office thinking, oh, God, that you've allowed us to be part of what you're doing on the earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just so humbled. Anyway, he brought it all together, like 50 years research, Millions and millions of pieces of data. And he's done this book, The Future of the Global Church. And he's like this, you know, he's not sort of super um, extrovert, over-the-top guy. But he can't ignore what God's doing. It's almost like, as I look at these statistics. And this is how he described what's happened in my lifetime. The most dramatic explosion of Christianity in global history. The expansion of Christianity from 1950 to today has no parallel in human history. This period is the period of the most astounding harvest the world has ever seen. I've seen so much. This is how he, 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 he brings his forward to, to, together. He says, I've seen so much of what God has done. It's even made me an optimist. In other words, when you just look at what God's doing on the earth and you look at this gospel, the work that this gospel is doing in so many lives and so many nations. When I was born, there wasn't really a church in China, you know. Church, the missionaries had been kicked out. The pastors had all been locked up. This brutal regime. And yet, any time now, China will have the largest church on earth. They'll have over 100 million people. And they're not like religiously going to the rules church. It's power of the spirit, underground, viral movement. Amazing. Africa, large parts were like the dark continent that are now experiencing revival. South Korea, when I was born, was one of the poorest countries on earth. It's where compassion started 60 years ago in South Korea after the Korean War. Now it's one of the richest countries on earth. But... Not, but not just a, a rich country, but a country that's fueling the missionary movement like probably none other on earth. More missions being sent out, more prayer going out from that country. Over 50% of the population born again. And South Korea is next door to who? I mean, where would you rather live? You know, we're not saying South Korea is perfect, but I tell you what, I'd rather live in South Korea than North Korea, wouldn't you? 
you know, the sun, maybe God put those two countries side by side so that we can see if we've just got eyes, what, see what God's doing on the earth. You know, we're obsessed with this 10% could be a tipping point. You know, 10% of any population, you know, in a school or a prison or a community, if they really get it, if they really own something, that can be the tipping point that transforms culture. How about this? According to Patrick Johnson, in my lifetime, and I've got less than most people in this room left, in my lifetime, over 10% of the world's population are going to be spirit-filled, charismatic believers. Because this move of God where more hundreds of millions have been added to the church in my lifetime, it's not just been like adding to rules and religion. It's been Holy Spirit poured out. It's charismatic. It's Pentecostal. Do you understand what I'm saying? Basically, God's doing something unprecedented. And the only thing that could stop it is if people faithfully don't preach the gospel. Faithfully. And it's so important. That's why advance is so important. That's why it's so important we stand on platforms and one-to-one on the streets and we've got a gospel that we understand and work. Why it's so important we're in the word together and we're wrestling with this gospel and we proclaim it with confidence and allow it to do its work because God's going to have a people. And I want to be part of the action of bringing that people in for him, don't you? And, and yes, the dark's going to get darker. Don't be surprised about ISIS. Don't be surprised about disgusting people, tra- traffickers. Don't be surprised if third world war breaks out. The gospel is still going to advance. We're still on the winning team. And the only thing that counts is that in this generation, we run our race, we carry our baton faithfully, and we keep our eyes on the prize, and we win a harvest for Jesus. And maybe we, even a bunch of ordinary people like us, maybe we could be the Leicester City Ministry. And God allows us to, what that bunch of jokers. How the heck, how does that even happen? You know, wouldn't you love to be like that? And it's obvious something's going on. They're so united in purpose and vision and passion. And the spirit of God's on them. So we win some extraordinary trophies. It's already happening. Me and Michelle, um, just finished with this. Me and Michelle on Saturday morning, just sat in bed. Just really just loving the stories that are coming in at my phone. Dave Morgan sent me a story of a heroin addict. He's come to Christ. Really, really, almost didn't know what he was saying. Just knew that he met Jesus. And, and he said, I've met this higher power and it's changed my life. And, and, but he's been off heroin for two weeks. And what, you know, he's at the very baby, baby start. How important it is. We nurture that guy and help him and train him. But then, it, so I got this video in of this guy. I wonder if Sam got it. Did you get it as well? Beautiful video from Dave Morgan. Just precious, precious work with this guy. Rampant addict off the strip who's met Jesus. And it's like, what's happened? This is amazing. And then two minutes later, a video comes in from Mo Timbo. Again, rampant addict, former drug dealer, saved just before he went into this long stretch in prison. But just on the streets, hundreds of people evangelizing who's led to Christ. And this girl is testifying on the streets about 12 months ago. She was suicidal. And then she meets Jesus. And this suicidal man comes up and says, your story's my story. Can I give my life to your Jesus? Because I want him to be set free from suicidal thoughts. And, and you're like, I love this. And you know, this is, this is absolutely nothing to do with me. It's just a bunch of people who are focused on sharing a gospel relevantly. 
loving the poor and preaching the gospel. But we have such a responsibility as the thing now goes viral, as we become this movement, to faithfully proclaim Christ. To just sniff out any weird rules coming in. To just be aware of any religion. We're not. We're free people. Free to serve. Free to bless. Free to be alive in Christ. Yeah. So what I thought we might do, it's not about preachers at all. We're all called to do the work of the evangelist. But, but there's something, isn't there, about our preachers. You know, Paul was a preacher. He often preached in fear and trembling. I'm not even sure he was that good a preacher. He was a massive theologian, incredible mind. You know, we do know a young man fell asleep while he was preaching and, and fell to his death. But because he was anointed, he ran down the steps and brought him back to life. I'd love to do a bit more of that preaching. Even if it was boring, I'd rather do boring preaching that had that kind of results, wouldn't you? <coughs> but anyway, whatever, Paul was a preacher. I'd, I'd love to pray for our preachers. And that's not, you know, that's if you preach the gospel in any setting or you're going to, and all the academy team needs to stand up now, right? Because you were about to release you into mission and you'll have all sorts of opportunities to, to preach. But, so if you're on a prisoners team, if you're in our bands or any setting, and I'm thinking most people in the room, or you're publicly, or you're giving your testimony through the MEC ministry, or whatever it is. Now, this is not, we're better than you. It's not that at all. Because some of you haven't got that public preaching ministry. And actually, we don't want you to have either. But for those of us, you know, because part of the problem is, part of the problem in the church, I'm going to come into land now, right? But part of the problem in the church, we think that's the kind of, that's the best thing you can do. And so we have all sorts of lousy preachers up front. Because everyone thinks everyone's jostling for that platform. No, let's just, but what we do want is the preachers we've got to be anointed and to be faithful and the difference between preaching and God's on it and it's a true word that changes lives. That's what I'm saying. So just stand up if you have any of that, any of that kind of ministry, anybody, right? If you have any kind of preaching ministry, public platform preaching ministry, you're going to have in the next, and uh, so I'd love us all, and we get, preachers are going to have to pray for preachers as well, so I'd love us all to be prayed for, but I'm going to pray for Matt. Matt's going to pray for me. God, faithful, faithful herald, faithful ambassador for Christ. And even pray for the message that we'll be faithful with this message. That we'll be a ministry that can be trusted with much because we treat the gospel seriously. Is that all right? So just stand up and just do that then, yeah? Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 